For the curious. Streaming countrywide on the 702 app. Let's start off the conversation with uh, Dr. Jenba. Good evening and thank you for joining us this evening. Good evening, Bashar, and to your listeners as well. Great stuff. Look, I mean, at the moment, uh, you know, there's obviously, uh, I don't know if, if one can refer to it as widespread, um, as, as panic per se. But I mean, I've been looking, I've been working from home myself this week, uh, this past week. Obviously, the kids are at home uh, trying to manage work while trying to ensure that they get to do their schoolwork, whilst obviously trying to make sure that you are productive and that you're actually performing in terms of what you have to perform uh, on behalf of work and all kinds of other interesting things but every now and again uh, you find yourself out in public either whether you go and buy yourself uh, a loaf of bread or some milk um, or whatever the case may be and the one thing that's very noticeable is a clear absence on our roads and in public spaces there's fewer people out and about Um, I mean are we seeing people actually trying to implement some form of social distancing obviously there will be some that will ignore that but are we seeing some form of social distancing at the moment I definitely think we are. I think people are very much more aware of this as a concept and they are hearing more and more about the idea of flatmate curve. Um, so social distancing is crucial and it's now starting to be referred to by the World Health Organization as physical distancing as opposed to social distancing, with the emphasis being that we need to support each other as society but at the same time maintain a physical distance from each other so that we don't spread the disease. But I definitely think that there has been a shift in behaviour, but whether it's enough, um, I think, is the subject of much debate at the moment. So, I mean, the one thing that stands out for me, though, is, you know, in and amidst all of this, um, we've seen a steady increase in the numbers. I mean, we're sending at 200 and uh, 74 persons who have been infected by coronavirus. Um, I, I don't know, maybe it's just in my mind, but from, from what I can recall, having followed other countries and their infection rates, whether it be Italy, whether it be China, whether it be Iran, or the US for that matter, um, it seemed that once you sort of hit that 100 threshold, 1,000 was, was reached very quickly, and then after that 10,000 and so on and so forth, whereas we've seen a steady increase in South Africa do we need to be concerned at the increase that we're facing or um, is, it, is it pretty well managed at, at this stage? Look, I think any increase in COVID-19 cases is concerning, especially because we know that there is exponential growth. Um, and so that is one of the reasons why the numbers increase so rapidly once they start to increase. So for a long time, the, the curve looks pretty flat and then all of a sudden you see a dramatic spike mm, in cases. Mm. Um, But I think one thing to bear in mind is that there is a 14-day or approximately 14-day incubation period. And so what we're seeing now is people taking measures to to limit their social contact, but we're seeing the cases that were infected 14 days ago. And so the social distancing hasn't really been a case for long enough for us to start to see whether or not it's actually having an effect in terms Mm, of the number mm, of confirmed mm. cases. So, you know, that's a longer-term perspective. Um, The other thing to keep in mind with that is we need to be testing more widely. And so at the moment, what we're seeing is an increase in confirmed cases, but it doesn't really give us a clear picture if these are the only cases. Um, I know that the number yesterday was 17 of community um, transmission, but that seems remarkably low to me. And the fact that we haven't had any deaths um, also seems remarkable when you look at other countries. So there is some question as to whether or not we're testing widely enough and picking up all the cases, and that would obviously impact um, the curve as we're looking at it. I mean, that is a major factor that you're raising there because that was one of the issues that for me stood out 
um, you know, about the current uh, numbers as well is that, as I mentioned um, at the beginning, is that even though we're seeing a, it's, a, it's what one can refer to as a steady increase as uh, opposed to a sharp increase. And I guess uh, that ultimately does leave the question to ask whether, you know, we're reaching everyone that needs to be reached uh, to be tested in this instance. Do you think that that is the case? Look, I think that up until now it's been fairly limited by the case definitions that were being tested. Um, but I know that there is a movement to make the definition wider and to test anybody who's presenting with an unusual um, infection, particularly pneumonia. Um, so we should start to see a broader testing base. But then the other issue is capacity and whether or not we can scale up quickly enough um, to test everybody who needs to be tested. But, you know, that is something to watch closely and I, I suspect we'll see more testing happening in the, in the coming days. So what I wanted to find out from you is, I mean, obviously we've seen some stringent measures already being placed, um, you know, what has been referred to as social distancing. But I mean, beyond the social distancing aspect that we've highlighted that is obviously of serious concern and that uh, a lot of people are paying attention to. I mean, we've seen further measures. Uh, schools have shut down. Uh, we see that restaurants and clubs and such uh, establishments and bars have been limited to less than 50 people, 50 people or less. Um, no alcohol for sale under, I mean, over uh, past uh, six o'clock in the evening, um, you know, and all kinds of other measures like that. A lot of people like myself working from home and, and so on and so forth. Ultimately, the big question there is, I mean, with the president's uh, address being delayed today, I guess that does, in my opinion, um, raise concern considering that we were obviously waiting to hear what he has to say. Now we're going to hear in the morning. We know that the president only speaks when it's really serious. So ultimately, the question is, I mean, what else do we expect uh, in terms of your analysis? Uh, you know, what, what do you think uh, we should expect from the president? Okay, well, there's a lot of speculation as to what the president is going to say. Um, obviously, he's declared a, a state of national disaster, but there is a step further that he could declare um, a national emergency, which then brings in a whole bunch of different measures that he can then make use of, including things like using the army to help enforce um, any measures that they put in place. So just something to be aware of, the further steps that could be taken. I think the other thing is, um, at the moment, we are still allowed to go to work, we are still allowed to go out, but it's okay. Can, can I just ask you to move around there, Doctor, because unfortunately yeah. we're losing you in bits and pieces, if, if you don't mind. Oh dear. Sorry, can you hear me better now? Yeah, yeah, I can, yeah. Okay. Um, if you look at cases like Italy and if you look at China, what they initially started off with was what we're doing at the moment, physical distancing. Um, but gradually what they moved to was um, a situation where they were essentially in lockdown in their houses and people could only sort of leave their houses in, in order to get medical care or to make sure that they got food, essentially. And mm. that was even limited to the number of times a day they could go out. So, you know, that is something that we perhaps are moving towards. Um, it's very hard to know when the, the president will actually invoke those further measures and how effective they'll be and how long we can sustain them. And I think those are all things that are being sort of factored into the decision. I hear you. And I mean, it's it's a bit of a, you know, it's it's an interesting one that because especially when we start talking about 
um, you know, the involvement of the SANDF. We know for a fact that the SANDF doesn't just get called in for any particular reason. I mean, ask the people of the Western Cape and the uh, crisis that they're facing around gangsterism. Government has been Mm -hmm. reticent for a very long time to introduce the army there. Do we know that there's any conversations being held or any deployment or being planned uh, with the SANDF at all? At this stage, I don't just know of any discussions going on, but I'd be very surprised if it was something. Okay, you'll need to. You'll, sorry, doctor, we lost you again there. Yeah, I'll, I'll just try okay. one last time. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. Um, as far as I know, I haven't heard of any discussions, but I would be surprised if there's not discussions happening in the background. Um, if we look in the United States at the moment, they're they're using their army. Um, in places like New York City to help equip hospitals and quarantine sites. So, you know, it's definitely a possibility, but I haven't heard anything to confirm it at this stage. Sure. Um, Just as a final question for you, I mean, what next? Uh, You know, it seems pretty, as I said, it seems pretty stringent to tell us not to have a DOP after six o'clock in a public space. Um, It seems that uh, it's quite stringent to keep the kids out of school. I mean, really, what else do we expect coming from the president, especially looking at the numbers right now? We can't say it is an alarming rise in numbers, but at the very same time, I think, um, let's be quite honest, that that number keeps on increasing. So how do we flatten the curve, number one, whilst also not creating a sense of panic? Well, I, yeah, I think panic is there for a reason. Perhaps I'm not saying we should spread widespread panic, but we do need to be fearing this a little bit and the consequences it will have for our society. And essentially what we're weighing up at the moment is whether or not we want to deal with the economic consequences of shutting down society or whether or not we want to deal with the lack. Um, so I'll not be surprised if the president orders us to stay at home and essentially have more of a situation in that there are degrees of lockdown. But I think, you know, there is real concern that people aren't heeding enough of the calls for social distancing um, and that at this stage we can't we can't risk it because the broader the transmission within society, the greater the numbers we're going to see of seriously ill people who will then in turn have a huge impact on our health system. And then it's not just the people who have COVID that will be, you know, suffering. It's, it's HIV, AIDS and TB sufferers. It's people who need to get chronic medication. It's somebody who's in a car accident and can't get medical health um, treatment. If you look at what's happening in Italy, they're doing wartime um, triage, you know, literally trying to decide who needs to live mm. and putting them on ventilators. And so, you know, if that's the in-case scenario and that's what we're trying to avoid, then extreme measures don't seem out of place. And that for me is a part of the concern because, I mean, we, we obviously need to get past that point of, um, you know, or we shouldn't ever reach that point, as you said, where um, it's almost as if it's a wartime situation whereby we deciding who lives and who dies um, yeah. based on the number of people that we can treat. I mean, Italy almost reaching a thousand people in terms of the number of deaths. Um, in yeah. one day, uh, the, the, we, we clearly can't have a situation like that. I think they uh, far exceed uh, the global standard of what three to four percent at the moment in terms of um, uh, mortality rate. So that's very worrisome. Uh, the the last thing is obviously the test kit issue that keeps on ca- cropping up. That we reminded on a regular basis that government is running uh, short on uh, test kits. Uh, the other issue is also how people access the testing. 
uh, for the coronavirus or COVID-19. Obviously, we know that in some instances, uh, people are able to go to their, their, their uh, doctor and then from there, because of medical aid or whatever else they have, uh, they can get further assistance. But I mean, in this particular instance, um, h- how are we coping? And this, uh, I'm looking at the price just falling under 2,000 rands for a test. So people without medical aid, are they okay? Um, are we coping? Uh, is that maybe part of the reason why our numbers don't seem to be increasing yet? Firstly, you can get it. Um, you can get tested at government health facilities, and if you are tested, then you meet the case, case definition. In that situation, the test is free. So it's you know, almost no to think that you have to pay that sort of amount of money to get tested. You can um, access tests through the government sector, but unfortunately. The, the number of tests and the, the reagents and everything that goes into testing is critically limited worldwide. And so that is something that is a real concern. But all the time there are new tests being developed. And there's one now that's promising a 45-minute turnaround time and results. But obviously those need to be produced and then spread worldwide. So, you know, it's all a case of hurry up and wait, unfortunately. Mm. Um, but it's not just limited to those with private health care. And I think that's something we've got to be careful so obviously, you'll get quicker service. You can do them perhaps a bit more. Um, but even so, all tests that go through Ampas and Lancet, for example, will have to go through the National Institute for Communicable Diseases in order to be confirmed. Um, so essentially, the bottlenecks then become, are we having enough staff? Do we have enough training? How can we confirm these quickly enough? Yeah. I guess ultimately, if you can stay at home, stay at home. That should be the ultimate message here because... Um, I mean, that's the only way that we're going to limit the the spread of this particular um, illness, isn't it? Absolutely. The more that we can all do in our own you know, personal capacity, the more we help the system overall. So stay at home. Make sure that you, you know, limit who you see. Try and limit who goes out for shopping. Just really do your bit to put physical distance between yourself and others. I know it's hard with children. Um, and I know that they, you know, get sort of cabin fever, but the more mm. we can do, the more we help our society, basically. Can I tell you uh, something? Uh, cabin fever is real <laughs> at the moment. It's, <laughs> I know, I it's very real. Um, so, yeah. But listen, thank you so much for your time. All the best to you. And uh, let's hope that we get through this particular one. And I guess all that we can do is sit back and wait and hear what the president has to tell us tomorrow. Absolutely. I think we're all waiting with bated breath to see what comes next. No, definitely. All the best to you. That was, of course, uh, Dr. Lisa Janberg, who, um, as I had introduced earlier on, is a PhD in international relations from Wits University uh, and previously worked with the South African Institute for International Affairs. Um, and is currently focusing on cities and international security, uh, talking to us about the coronavirus and obviously the pending address from the president.